You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Friday, August 14, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington in New York, joined shortly by our CEO and founder, Rao Pal. But first, Jack Farley with a taste of Precious Metals Week. Thanks, Ash. U.S. retail sales numbers came in today, and sales in July increased 1.2% from June, coming in well below the forecast of 1.9%. What I noticed was the wide dispersion between economists' estimates showing there really is no consensus view. Looking at total sales, remember that's the absolute numbers, not a percentage change, a V-shaped pattern has emerged. But will it be a square root recovery? In other words, have we been borrowing growth and economic activity from the future as people cooped up in their homes are splurging? It really hinges on the fiscal picture going forward and the progress of the virus. In other news, are rising yields putting pressure on gold? Nominal yields have risen as the Treasury has undergone over $4 trillion worth of issuance. The question I'm wondering is, is this indigestion in the bond market the reason for the sell-off in gold this past week, or is there some other root cause? And what does the future hold for gold, and silver for that matter? Well, if you're interested in that question, stay tuned because next week on Real Vision, we're going to be doing a deep dive into precious metals. That's right, for the entire week, we're embarking on a journey to discover What's going on with gold and silver? What are the challenges and opportunities in that space? What are the fundamental drivers of the price action? And where are we headed from here? We're starting off strong on Monday with Lynn Alden and Ron William. They're gonna be taking a historical look at gold and silver relative to the money supply, interest rates, and equity valuations. Then on Tuesday, Ed's gonna be speaking to Peter Ciccini about how investors can gain different exposure to these assets according to their needs. On Wednesday, James Rasta of Coast Capital returns to talk precious metals with none other than Rao Pal. They're gonna explore if the unprecedented nature of COVID has become the rocket fuel that gold has been waiting for. Thursday, Dan Oliver is gonna be speaking to the great Simon Mikhailovich. These two pioneers in the space are going to be taking you through the run-up in precious metals from the perspective of bond markets, yields, and deteriorating credit quality. And then we finish the week with Bill Fleckenstein and perhaps one of the best-known precious metal commodity investors of all time, Rick Rule. Finally, for our Plus and Pro members, we bring you an action-packed week as well with four distinct pieces ranging from Lynn Alden and Ralph Powell to Warren Irwin to Alexander Campbell and Max Weithy. They're going to be diving headfirst into miners, macro, gold, silver, and of course, a little bit of Bitcoin as well. With that, let's go over to Ash and Rao. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Jack. Welcome, Rao. Good to be here as ever. It's been one of those weeks that have gone rushing past. Lots going on, but I don't know where the time goes. Time sure flies when you're not sleeping. Yeah, that's very true. So, Jack, uh, talking about Precious Metals Week, what are your thoughts? Well, look, you know, I've been long Precious Metals for a while now. Um, you know, in Global Macro Investor, I've had a basket, I've had 
gold versus a basket of global currencies, uh, excluding the dollar, for maybe three years now that I've been long. And that's done really well. And the hypothesis was, you know, as we know, that over time, more monetary um, easing is going to generally devalue the price of overall fiat currency overall. And that seems to be playing out. But, you know, we've had a very, very volatile week in precious metals. I mean, they got absolutely shellacked at the beginning of the week. And I think everybody's still a bit reeling. It's not really clear yet whether silver could correct more because silver's not quite the same as gold. So gold has this kind of reserve currency element to it, while silver has the more speculative nature. It's a much higher vol metal, and it tends to be related to the risk cycle more than gold does. So, you know, it's very interesting here to see whether we get another leg down, particularly in silver, or whether it just bases and continues to move higher. But precious metals, you know, it's been really interesting. And I think you've seen it on so many interviews on Real Vision is it's front and center of everybody's mind. It became the best trade in the world um, for almost everybody to understand because it wasn't complicated like Bitcoin, for example. It was a very straightforward value proposition. And in all cases, it was one of the of the traditional asset classes. It was the superior trade because come reflation, gold goes up. Yeah. Come inflation, gold goes up. And in deflation, everybody thinks that gold goes down. But think it through, and the knock-on effects and the reaction function of central banks is, if we go to deflation, they'll do more printing. So therefore, in deflation, gold goes up. So gold has this extraordinary set of outcomes of which the only way gold doesn't do well, probably, is if we end up with 2% GDP growth and nothing really happening and no more central bank stimulus, which actually, weirdly enough, is probably the least likely outcome, even though that's, that would be normality. I don't think normality is going to be the outcome from here. So it's become a very popular trade for people. You know, a lot of people look at it in terms of uh, negative real rates. I don't think that is ne necessarily the key driver either, because if real rates go positive because inflation goes negative, the central banks step in. You know, there's a number of different functions here. So it has been a big trade. A lot of people are in the trade. So to have a correction, it's not that unusual. Um, and I think... I think the buy and hold strategy still seems to make sense. I don't see any real change in the base case for gold. Silver, I'm less convinced about because it is driven by truly are we in a reflationary cycle or not. Right. Um, so it's not driven by the same thing. It's driven by underlying demand within the economy, essentially. And I'm not sure that's 100% the same. So a bit more nervous of that. But gold, I think it's a, it's a big story and it will remain a big story for the next three years. And, you know, we've had a lot of people on the platform who keep talking about it. All the macro guys are looking at it. We've had a lot of the gold mining guys. Um, you know, they've nailed it because the gold mining shares have been so incredibly good um, performers over the last year. And, you know, even within um, silver miners as well. It's been, it's been a great trade. And I think it continues. We need to have corrections. They're normal. Yeah. And I think we're going to be discussing the miners coming up in Precious Metals Week here at Real Vision. Yeah, I mean, I interviewed James Rastos, a, um, a friend of mine, who runs a really interesting fund, which is basically, it, it acts like a private equity fund, but, it's a, it, but it invests in public equities. And it looks at these middle tier gold miners that aren't on people's radar screens. They basically get lost because the ETFs all have the big players 
as the number one waiting. And there's no money flowing into the space. So these things, the valuations just drift lower and lower and lower. And they're all cash generative, no debt or very low debt, really great businesses. And with the gold price going up, they're even better businesses. So they're still very cheap. And I think that's going to come up in the Precious Metals Week, how interesting this space still is and that corrections are there to be bought. Yeah, I'm sure that and more. Raul, to me, uh, S&P 500 closes out the week 33.72. The most absurd line that I heard this week, I was doing something in the kitchen and I had on a financial network in the background and, and I heard someone on saying, well, you know, to think about how to play this, it really depends on which high you're using, intraday or closing. And I thought, no, it doesn't. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Look, the S&P is very close to an all-time high. It doesn't really matter which number you use. Bottom line, a, you know, GDP, you know, Q2 minus about 33%. If you do it on a quarterly basis, minus 9%. Atlanta Fed now cast minus 26.2% as of August 14th. Uh, you know, initial claims under 1 million this week for unemployment. Good news, but continuing claims 15.5 million. That's one in 20 Americans. And we're splitting hairs uh, on financial news networks about which high to use for the chart. It's silly. No, I mean, the reality is, is, is headline equities have been going higher and nothing has stopped that. And I don't know what stops it. And, you know, I, I've not really had a position in that because I don't have an edge in that market when valuation doesn't matter. I don't know what's driving it. It could be the central bank. It could be the debasement of currencies. It could be index flows. It could be a number of things of which, I, you know, I don't find that the highest quality trade. Um, you know, I think there are better trades if you want to express that view. If your view is reflation, there's better trades within commodities. If your view is central bank debasement, there's better trades within precious metals or cryptocurrencies. Right. So I think there are better quality trades than that trade. I do note, however, that you know I use uh, DMARC indicators and technical analysis a lot to give me a guidance of where we are. And they're really stacking up on the equity market right now. So there's a lot of daily counts. We're still a couple of weeks away from maybe the big weekly top pattern. We'll wait and see. But you know, I've been explaining in the daily briefings every Friday is I took June as really the top, and we've seen it in European equities, we've seen it in, a, in the banks, we've seen it in a whole bunch of sectors that I'm looking at. So underneath, there is a definite divergence. It's not like one, one's going up more than the other. There's actually you know, one going up, the other going down. And I've talked about this ad nauseam. The banks had a bit of a bounce beginning of the week as the, the value growth and underperformers versus outperformers, you know, we saw a bit of reallocation of capital or washing out of positions. But generally speaking, the banks haven't been doing great. Um, the indebted companies haven't been doing great. The precious metals, the miners have been doing very well. And the benchmark indices have been doing something very different. So I think there's different narratives you can construct underneath that are slightly higher quality and more interesting to me. But you know, for me, the equity market is not the great trade for now. Yeah. Yeah, you've been really interesting on, I think, the financial stocks and the challenges that they've had relative to the uh, higher performance in the index. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I just think the whole, you know, I've had that thesis about the insolvency and it's definitely showing underneath. And we'll talk about Europe in a bit. Yeah. Um, but there's, there are still several concerns. So, you know, I watch and wait. It's not time to really do anything aggressively. Uh, I think the market struggled with bond yields going higher this week as well as the massive auction had to get digested. So as the auction gets digested, 
you know, let's see what happens to bond yields from there. I don't think they can go higher. I think if they did, the Fed would step in. So I still think it's a backstop trade. And I quite like to see bond yields drift lower. You know, I think the inflationary pressures going forwards in Q4 are going to be very negative. So um, I think the market's probably on the wrong side of the inflation trade for now. Next year, okay, it's going to look like ridiculous inflation just because we had such a collapse in in uh, uh, in February, March, and April. We'll see some huge numbers, um, and because you know oil went negative at one point, so you know we're going to see some very different numbers. So it's going to be very noisy to trade around some of this stuff. But I think I still think with the stimulus being stalled, with the continuation of the virus and that general slowness of growth that it causes, what's going on in Europe, what's going on globally, it still feels like a slow growth world, regardless yeah. of the V-shape of some of the elements. Yeah. You know, to tee up Europe, uh, Ed and I were discussing earlier this week some of the risks to European banks. There's some deep dive reporting in the FT uh, suggesting that they are potentially far more exposed than their U.S. counterparts, thinner margins, more regulation, and a series of idiosyncratic issues there. Ed and I also pointed out that Europe is much more reliant on traditional bank lending uh, to provide credit to the uh, to the to the private sector, uh, whereas in the U.S. we have a much more developed capital market system. I'm curious because I know you've been watching this, Raoul. What are you thinking about the second wave of lockdowns in Europe now? Yeah, look. You know, I, I follow this closely, and I, I again I talked about it in the daily briefing. But I think Europe made a mistake by allowing intercountry travel for holiday season. I know everybody was desperate to go on holiday, but we've already seen a big spike in viruses, um, particularly in Spain and other countries. The UK is busy quarantining anybody who comes home. It's a real shit show. Yeah. And what does that mean? You know, again, forget everybody's view on viruses and what's right, what's wrong. The reaction function of European economies, has a high, they have a higher propensity to lock down regions than the US does. So it has a higher economic impact in Europe. That's fact. Now, in this situation, we're starting to see this shutdown. We're starting to see travel shrinking again because the restrictions on travel are going up. Yeah. The likelihood of the virus increasing dramatically in Europe for a period of time is relatively high. So the only way they can fight it is more lockdowns. So what does that mean for Europe? Well, this is where it gets interesting because the Europeans just managed to pass that stimulus package that was mutualized. That was 875 billion or whatever the number was. Now that was a fight to get through. Yeah. It wasn't really enough to start with. And the banks told you that because the banks didn't really bounce in Europe and they didn't bounce in the UK either. So there's a structural problem still. What is that problem? Well, you, you, you alluded to many of these in regulation. All this stuff has been a problem for the European banks. Yeah. But essentially, negative bond yields, low growth, and lots of bank lending, and high debts, and insolvent companies is a bad mix. And if you, know, if you go to Spain, where you know, I know Spain well. I've, you know, I've had a house there for 20 years and lived there for 10. Spain really relied on the tourism. They had to open. So they opened and it backfired. Yeah. So now, what is forward-looking growth going to look like for Spain? Not good. So what do they do? Stimulate again. How? How do they do that? So you know, I was I put on Twitter today the IBEX share price at the, of the index. It looks like it could break down if we're not careful. That Europe is could have a little struggle here because the stimulant the stimulant is not available that it is in the US. 
So yeah. I'm concerned by that. The European banks still don't look great. Um, I think across the board, Europe is something that most people aren't on their radar screen. People were overweight Europe, in fact, you know, at a tactical trading level, and people are very long the euro. You know, as you know, my my view has been that the euro at the top of the range is likely to reverse. It's been struggling to reverse, so I've not been proven right, and had to wear a bit of losses on that one for a while. But it kind of feels like that setting up potentially for Europe to do something differently. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Right. Uh, speaking of some different things, I know we've been looking at some other things. Ethereum is something that's been on your radar. What are your thoughts there? Well, the, yeah, the cryptocurrency space is something that I am obsessed over right now because I yeah. think that it is the, actually the best trade in the world. And you know, I talked about this last week. I think it's an extraordinary opportunity, both in the long term and the short term. And I love it when that comes together when you've got all of your cycles at one point. But I've also looked at, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And Ethereum, I've always thought, oh, I thought Bitcoin is the, the new reserve currency for the digital age and Ethereum as the applications layer. Right. And as that ecosystem grows, then Ethereum grows with it. And so you can see that now as DeFi has become the hot topic, yeah. it's starting to cause more speculation in Ethereum where it's now outperforming Bitcoin significantly. And I, I alluded to that a few weeks ago, saying, look, the chart pattern looks like that's going to happen. And I think that's going to continue, but it's on a tear. I mean, it's up 7% today, and it was up, I don't know, the same yesterday. I mean, it's ripping higher at the moment as yeah. people are starting to get tuned into the whole space. And I think Bitcoin will go with it. There's, there seems to be a lot of supply in Bitcoin right now. You know, there's a lot of supply at 10,000. There's been a lot of supply at 12,000. And that's okay. You know, let's get the supply out of the way. But overall, yeah, that whole space, I think, is just exploding higher. I can't think of a better trade for risk-adjusted returns for the rest of the year than crypto. And we don't have central bank intervention. We don't have, you know, manipulation. We don't have corporate share buybacks. We don't have any of you know, We don't have passive index funds skewing the market. We don't have any of it. It's a clean market. And that's a joy to have. In this day and age, to have a clean market to trade, that's great. Yeah. Uh, Ethereum now up to 440. It's actually risen. It's up almost 9% on the day, probably up since the last time you looked an hour or so ago. I mean, pretty, pretty dramatic moves. Yeah, it really is. I mean, huge moves. And this is you know, a reasonably big instrument, and it's liquid enough to trade. So, you know, it's good. And, you know, I've allocated money to Ethereum. And, um, you know, I know that the Real Vision... Um, pro subscribers, you know, have been into Ethereum and Bitcoin as well. And, you know, these things are paying off. Um, you know, anything in the space, I think, is, is getting hotter and hotter. And I think that the, the, yeah. um, the Davy Day Trader, you know, piece with the Winklevosses, which was a kind of bizarre piece that he did yesterday, um, just is driving brand awareness in the space. Yeah. Bitcoin is a brand. It's got a hell of a lot of awareness versus the price. Um, you know, it's probably yeah. one of the most known brands, new brands, 
at the lowest price, i.e. $200 billion market cap for a brand of that recognition, it's too low. Yeah, that's very well said. Uh, Ethereum uh, right now, just a hair under a $50 billion market cap daily, 24-hour trade volume, $18 billion. Whether or not you can trust that number is an open question. Yeah. Um, And the point being is that we know where the space we think we know where the space is going, yeah. and where 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 it's priced now, it just seems it's the wrong price. So you know, I I do think I, I mean I spend a lot of time looking at this space more and more, and more and more people I know get into the space, and the magnitude of the opportunity is just gigantic. And you get some blowups along the way. One of these DeFi projects failed on day one uh, <laughs> yesterday, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, That's- everyone thought. Yeah, it's quite a story. Yeah, but the, what? But what's really going on? Forget the failures, because in new businesses, new technologies, there are failures. Things go wrong. But what's really happening is the cryptocurrency markets are setting a price of money. Right? Yeah. This is a huge development. They have a price of money. Now, gold doesn't have a price of money because the gold borrowing market is just it doesn't. The spreads are not big enough. But here, you're looking at real interest rate margins that become interesting to people, but it comes with risk. So, you know, I'm not a participant in that, but I understand why some people are, because for a portion of your portfolio, you can risk it. Maybe it doesn't end up being eight or 10% yield, but ends up being 4% or 5%, you know, once you adjust for, you know, things that don't work, et cetera, within a portfolio. That's still pretty good. Um, And this is the price of money in the crypto markets, which feels like a more natural price of money than in the central bank markets. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that's I think that's spot on. And also, look, you're getting you're getting seventy bips on the U.S. Uh, ten right now. So, thinking about that on a relative basis, pretty extraordinary. This, of course, what you were just talking about, Rao, uh, is yield farming and stable coins. That whole new world that's evolving in DeFi right now as we speak. And I would also add to Ethereum's performance recently. There's also a certain degree of a fundamental driver here with Ethereum 2.0. Look. Ethereum is the most popular platform for DApps. See, I don't understand what Ethereum 2.0 is. I just know new and improved, but what does that mean? Because I kind of <laughs> saw this with Bitcoin forks and Bitcoin yeah. cash, and, and they all amounted to nothing. Why is this different? What does it mean? Uh, well, it, it's it's a, it's a, it's the first really major change to the uh, Ethereum platform in terms of the code base since it was implemented, and it's something that's been telegraphed for a long time. It's happening on a rolling basis between now and 2021, and the the functionality changes uh, that that are happening under the hood are significant. There's some scaling issues that are being worked on, which is the amount of transactions uh, that it can process, and also the big shift is from uh, from proof of work to proof of stake. This is a really dramatic. Shift in the way that the network is secured. Just one word difference. What does it mean? It sounds like a one word difference, but it's actually a massive paradigm shift in the way that it gets got done. We all know with Bitcoin uh, that the network is secured by proof of work. These are computers doing massive numbers of transactions uh, separately and independently to try and verify the blockchain. It is incredible. When they verify it, they they get awarded a um, Bitcoin. Yeah, that's right. They get they get they get proof of work work then yeah it's it's dramatically different we're not doing uh, with proof of work the systems that are on the network that are authenticating don't do these massive transactions it's based on the amount of stake that you have so basically you stake a certain amount of coin uh, and by doing so it allows you to validate the transactions in a way that would you're, you're speaking Welsh to me 
<laughs> All right. How about this, Ralph? So we're, the main difference, I think, in, in layman's terms is if blockchain is to become something that becomes a mainstream technology, we have to do something about solving this massive power consumption issue, massively wasting electricity, burning fossil fuels, coal, oil to produce these transactions that serve absolutely no value is a tremendously wasteful way to secure a blockchain. Ethereum 2.0 is the potential to shift toward a much cleaner, more environmentally friendly, uh, less... So it's basically ESG investing in crypto. It is ESG investing in crypto at scale. This could be something, I mean, this is not like an obscure altcoin uh, going out there and taking on uh, staking to secure, the, to secure the protocol. It's the number two player in the space. So if they can get this right, uh, it's something that I think doesn't only impact Ethereum. But, it's something- doesn't, doesn't EOS and other tokens do the same thing? Don't they? They all have different consensus models, uh, but I think this one is really the one to watch because of the scale uh, and because of the amount of thought that's been put into this. This is a project that's been delayed uh, for long periods of time because it was so difficult to get right. And uh, from what we hear from the developer community, uh, there's a lot of optimism about the fact that this really could be a major breakthrough, not just for Ethereum, but for the entire cryptocurrency constellation. Interesting. Well, you know, that, this is the inherent problem with this, right? I mean, the squirming embarrassment of trying to watch the Winklevosses explain Bitcoin to yeah. somebody. It's hard because it's all so new and it just doesn't make sense to people. And you talk about proof of work, proof of sense. Everyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's very difficult to explain what this stuff is. Bitcoin's much easier because you can explain it in reserve currency terms, but Mm, yeah. All the others, you kind of just have to have some sort of vague understanding of what this space is. Right. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Very well said. And look, you know, some of it isn't just the understanding gap. Some of it is the fact that, strangely enough, the word consensus gets used a lot in the cryptocurrency space. But there isn't consensus about what the terminology actually means. So when you say uh, a particular type of thing, you say utility coin, you might mean something very different uh, than what I mean by it. I did an interview uh, that's going to be airing soon on Real Vision uh, with Jeff Dorman of Arca. Uh, and, and it's a really interesting piece. And one of the things that he discusses is he has a four-part division that he uses to describe the taxonomy of coins that are currently in use. And what's really staggering about this, to me at least, is that here we are in 2020, uh, and there's still not an agreed upon taxonomy of coins. There's still not an agreed upon taxonomy or structure or understanding again, of- Again, nobody understands what you're talking about, Ash. All right, so think of it this way. We all know the difference between a stock and a bond, right? And we know the difference between commodities uh, and currencies. But in cryptocurrency, the broad categories of asset classes are still not understood or agreed upon. So why should, you why should anybody invest in this space when even the people who know it don't understand it? Well, I would say for, it's a perfectly fair question. And, and honestly, my answer would be for exactly that reason. Right, that you know that there's the huge potential for upside, but there's also a lot of risk. And that is the inherent reason why people are so interested in this space. If it were settled, it would be boring. If it were settled, we'd be able to price it. And we can't price it. That's well said. Because it's difficult, it means that prices are generally dislocated from where it could be or should be. Yeah. You know, just right now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to buy some more Bitcoin. I was trying to buy the, the dip that happened in the last couple of days. But for me and Cayman, 
I've got my savings in one bank, I have to transfer it to another, but we don't have automatic transfer here. I have to take a physical check from the bank. So I put a request in, they usually reject it because I've spelt something wrong. Then it comes back, so now, I've now wasted three days. I'm like, where's my transfer? So then eventually they get it. They take it across. No, sorry. They then have to wait today and confirm it by telephone with me. Right. So they've confirmed it by telephone. They then take a physical check, walk over to the other bank, which is down the road, deposit it there. Then it, and I sent two across. One payment came back again. For some unknown reason, one of the numbers was missing, even though I did it electronically and I hadn't changed anything. So that went back. One payment went into this other bank where, and then eventually I get the money across today. So I'm now six days in yeah. trying to get money into just my local bank account. Now I put the payment request in to send it to my crypto account. It'll probably bounce again. I need some co confirmation phone call, <laughs> ripping my hair out. Right. And then it goes actually to a custodian and then into crypto. I mean, this is, it's unimaginably difficult to right. do simple things. Yeah. Once I've got the Bitcoin, I could send it to you instantaneously. And it's, yeah. it's that dawning of a realization is how ridiculous. Okay, I'm in the Cayman Islands and our banking system is not very advanced, contrary to the narrative. <laughs> yeah. um, it is almost impossible to do things frictionlessly in the, in the current world. But in right. future state world of Bitcoin, I, mean, I can just put your money instantaneously and it's only going to get easier. Yeah, and look, the the frictions in banking are the are the reasons why people get paid, right? It's because it's so incredibly it's so incredibly awkward. But you I know, mean, the guy who gets paid to walk the checks. <laughs> when, I mean, really, we're in twenty twenty. Yeah, Cayman Islands is not a backward country, but you know they want to keep give people jobs, make sure you know the population's employed, so people walk checks. Yes, and it's very secure. <laughs> it's really <laughs> but, you know, you've just sort of explained that that's the opportunity, right? And that the fact that that's the case in the retail system, and I think what many people don't know is that that's often the case uh, in institutional custody and capital markets as well. That we still have strong rooms where people are physically moving certificates. It's complete insanity when you think about, you know, how advanced it is, uh, you know, what the things that we do every day at Real Vision, sending, you know, files back and forth, and it's totally frictionless and it's very simple. And yet the infrastructure of the capital markets and the retail banking system isn't there yet. And this is all about that opportunity. Now, now that said, there's an enormous amount of risk in an, in an asset class that can't be priced, that can't be understood, the volume of which isn't known, right? These are really significant challenges. Yeah, but this questions. is not unlike, you know, many emerging market investors, you don't know it now, but people who invested in Russia in the early 90s, it's the same. You yeah. know, I've invested in, in Iran in the past, it's the same. Only when you go on the ground, you do your homework, do you understand the value opportunity. To everybody right. else, it's like, this is a ridiculous risk. Well, if it's a ridiculous risk, it's priced in. Right. Except Tesla, which is a ridiculous risk and it's not priced in at all. But, you know, but generally speaking, it's the, anything with a ridiculous risk, people overestimate the risk and underestimate the upside. So the moment any incremental amount of risk from that reduces, the thing explodes in price. Very typical of very distressed emerging markets. You know, yeah. I think we'll see that potentially with Venezuelan bonds. We'll see, you know, I used to call these bombed out markets where you can buy these things for cents on the dollar, uh, whether it's the stock indices, whether it's the currency or whether it's the bonds. And any incremental change in risk and these things explode. So it's, you know, it's not 
necessarily yet about the reward. It's only later that people start looking at the reward and then the thing really goes. Yeah. And, and, and a big part of the challenge is the way that this is being covered. You know, right now this is being covered in one of two ways. You can go into the really wonky space and you can see things expressed in scientific notation with hexadecimal and that kind of thing. Or you can go and read mainstream financial news on this topic and get you know, basically the most cursory high-level view of what's happening. Well, it's maybe not even in the FT or The Economist. I mean, they just don't even talk about it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, Novo had to do an ad, put an advert in the FT today, <laughs> I think it was, because there is no coverage of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or anything. <laughs> and yet you and I know the amount of people from the finance industry, the investment banks, the asset management firms, people like Fidelity, then yeah. all of Silicon Valley, the technology world, and this is going on globally, are all involved. And the media is, well, there was a scam in Bitcoin today on Twitter. Yeah. Really? Is this how you're seeing it? I mean, I had a conversation with a family office that I advise. Um, and I'm like, you know, I can't see straight. I'm so bullish on Bitcoin right now. He's like, oh, I don't really trust it. <laughs> so what don't you trust? Silence. The, it's because it's not covered in The Economist. If The Economist spent ages talking about cryptocurrencies, what's going on, who's developing what, it would get instant adoption and understanding that this is normal. But it just doesn't get there. And I don't know why that is. Yeah. It's almost like Real Vision should increase their coverage of this space. Maybe they should, he says with a big wink. <laughs> uh, Raul, as always, these Fridays are fun. Yeah, always good. Um, and I'm always looking forward to the weekend on the Friday as well. Because, the, I mean, it's just, there is so much going on. There's a lot going on at Real Vision. We're working on some enormous projects that people will see in the next three weeks. I mean, huge things happening, uh, yeah. which is ultra exciting for us. And then there's still plenty going on in financial markets to keep us interesting. So, uh, yeah, it's all good, but exhausting. I think we've all earned the weekend. Yes, I'm going to go take a nap, I think, as soon as we hang up. <laughs> I was thinking it's the same. <laughs> well, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ash. And have a great weekend, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.